following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether yourself or the The Lord called me when I was a very young man to be a pastor. The Holy Spirit fell upon me. I wept. My parents were very concerned because they didn't believe 
such a little boy could receive such a call. I, of course, as a little boy, said yes. But as I grew older, I rebelled against that. I wanted to explore the possibility of being an attorney. Then I wanted to explore the possibility of being a state policeman. Then I wanted to explore the possibility of being entrepreneur. I had all kinds of things that I tried to go do and be. But at that crucial juncture, the Holy Spirit stepped in at each place and said, stop rebelling against me. You're going to do what I've told you you're going to do, or my judgment will be on you. I was terrified of that. But part of what I learned as I went down this path is that I could say yes and rebel against God and go be a state policeman. But today I can't. Even if the Lord would let me, I can't. Do you know why? I'm too old to be a state policeman. I've gone down the road too far. I've gone past that junction where my life could have split off. I've gone past the junction where I can be an attorney. I've, I've passed by many of these decisions. Now, the Lord was the one who stepped in and made the decision. But I also made it in fear and trembling before him. So in one sense, my life has slowly had options cut off. At the same time, other roads have opened ahead of me. So that today I have many more options than I had back then. But still I hear the clear voice of God saying, this is the way, walk in it, or my judgment will fall on you. You are tonight living the result of your choices, your decisions. The way you feel emotionally inside tonight is a result of decisions and choices that you have made. I didn't make those decisions for you. You made those decisions. Now, there's one thing that's been very painful for this fellowship to face up to, and that is the responsibility for the decisions we've made. And for a long time, I participated in this game of trying to say it was Professor so-and-so. It was Bob. It was Jim. It was Mary. It was somebody who did this to me. But I have to recognize tonight, I am where I am, doing what I am doing, because I responded in obedience to the Holy Spirit, whether I like it or not. Now, there are some of you tonight who are not where you were told to be. You went your own direction, and you've had to deal with that. And I have to confess tonight, I am here not by any wisdom on my part. It was just I was afraid to disobey. We make choices. 
And those choices load us down with feelings. But those feelings are not the reality. The reality is, where has Jesus called us? And are we in step with the Holy Ghost? Or are we in step with the devil? It's that simple. We're either in step with the Holy Spirit or we're in step with the devil. And we get to choose. I want to share with you a story tonight of a man who chose. Looked at reality square in the face. And said, I choose this course. And then he paid the price as all of us must, for the course we choose. In the end, I'm going to stand before the judgment bar of God, as will you. And I will not have a line of people beside me that I can point to and say, but Father, he made me do it. She made me feel this way. I couldn't help my anger. I couldn't help my bitterness. I couldn't help it. They made me do it. No, when I stand before the judgment bar of God, all excuses will be stripped away. And I must stand before that judgment bar of God. And either the Lord Jesus Christ will say, that one has the same DNA that I have. My blood is in him. My blood is on him. My blood covers her. Or Jesus will say, I don't know that one. Take him away. That's a stranger to me. They're not of mine. They're of the devil. Now, we don't arrive at that place with one fell swoop. We arrive at that place with decision after decision after decision after decision. And frankly, it's after so many decisions that some of us even lose sight of where our decisions are taking us. His name was Balaam. He knew the Lord God of heaven. He claimed to be a prophet or a diviner. He engaged in witchcraft. He thought the way you communicated with God was to communicate through sorcery, divination. And so we find in Numbers, this 22nd chapter, the beginning. As God sets up for Balaam an opportunity to make a choice to be a part of God's people. He was going to be offered the most awesome opportunity that can be offered to any man or any woman, and that is to be a part of the people of God. He gets a summons from a very wealthy king who says, a people has come up out of Egypt and they cover the face of the land. They've settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. So the elders of Moab and Midian took the fee for divination 
and hurried off to summon Balaam for Balak. Balaam immediately turns to the Lord God of heaven, and the Lord God of heaven speaks to him in no uncertain terms. Numbers 22, verse 12. But God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. Now he knows. There can be no question. He returns to the princes and he tells them, No, I cannot go. But it's very interesting, even at this point, he begins to hedge his bet. He doesn't tell them the whole truth. He doesn't tell them that God has blessed this people. He leaves the door open for future negotiations. He doesn't want to kill the deal. Now, who would have suspected that that one small decision would become a link in a chain that would take him to hell? But that's how the links are forged. Hearing God speak clearly and then deciding, okay, I hear what God has said, but let's leave the door open to see if God might change his mind. God gives us clear instruction about a very specific issue. And then we wait and see if we can hedge our bet. Maybe God didn't mean quite what he said. Maybe it's okay if I sin a little bit. Maybe it's okay if I have bitterness in my heart. After all, they're really nasty people. Maybe it's okay if I become enraged. Maybe it's okay if... Hedge my bet. Let's see. Let's see how much give God has. Let's see how flexible God can be. And so responding to his negotiation, Balak sends more money and more princes, people of more renown, to see if they can convince Balaam to come. So again, Balaam goes to God. He does not go into God's presence and worship him and praise him and say, Lord God, you told me not to go, so I'm not going. Would you help me to know how to speak to Balak now? He doesn't say anything like that. No, he goes back into God's presence and God says, okay, go. Now, I've learned enough growing up as a kid in my house that when my dad would say, okay, go ahead and do it, I'd best know there's a consequence down the pike. But he was tone deaf. Are you tone deaf with God? Can you hear God's tone when he speaks? Balaam goes. He saddles his donkey. He's on his way. He's saying, the deal's not dead. The deal's not dead. God might give me a little break here. But God was very angry when he went. Verse 22, And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him, and I suspect that that was a credible manifestation of Jesus Christ himself. 
because in just a moment Balaam will fall down and worship him. Had it been an angel, Balaam would have been told to get back up on his feet because he was a brother. The Lord is standing now in the road with a drawn sword ready to kill him. The donkey sees. Already Balaam has lost his sight. Already Balaam has lost his ability to hear. He is tone deaf, so he doesn't know when God is angry. And now he has lost his sight because his heart is consumed with what he wants. And his heart being consumed by what he wants makes him tone deaf and makes him blind. A donkey can see, but he can't see. That's not a very high recommendation. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards. Verse 25, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. Then the angel moved further down. Angel meaning messenger from heaven. There was no room to turn this time. The donkey saw the angel, verse 27, and she simply lay down. Again, he beats her with his staff, and the Lord opens the donkey's mouth, and she says to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? And Balaam answers the donkey. When we become tone deaf, when we become blind, we begin to fight with other donkeys. And all that can be heard is the braying of donkeys. Confusion, fighting, bitterness, hostility, accusation. All because of a choice that Balaam made not to close a deal, but to leave the possibilities open. After God said, no, close it. It's done. Don't go there. And the Lord opened Balaam's eyes in verse 31. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. Now I want you to see, the Lord confronts him. He's now off his donkey. He's on his face. The Lord is saying, if your donkey hadn't have stopped by now, I would have killed you. How many times have I been saved by a dear donkey? And I suspect most of you in here have been saved by, by a donkey more than once. Balaam answers, verse 34, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now if you are displeased, I will go back. So now here he is trying to repent. But it's not repentance because he's not going back. Again, he's negotiating with God for a deal. He has no fear of God. He thinks by falling down on his face and saying, God, if you want me to go back, I'm sorry I didn't see you. Hey, I'll go back. It's okay. The Lord said, no, you go ahead and go. But you only speak the word that I put in your mouth. So off he goes. He meets with Balak. Balak 
prepares the sacrifices. Chapter 23, God puts a message by divination in Balaam's mouth. He speaks the message, and it's a message of blessing for God's people. Balaam is angry. He says, let's go somewhere else. Again, the Lord meets with Balaam and puts a message in his mouth by divination. Now, this is a man who claims to serve and obey the Lord God of heaven. This is a man who claims to follow the Lord God of heaven. In other words, we're dealing now with a man who has an understanding at some level of who God is, who has a heart to obey God as it is comfortable for him to do so. And he is prepared to respond to God's word and take certain actions. One of those actions being to speak the word that God puts in his mouth. I mean, listen, we're dealing here with something that none of us have experienced. Have you gone in, met with God, and had him put that message on your lips in this manner? I haven't. I mean, this is direct communication, almost like Moses had. This is a man that God does not speak to in riddles, but speaks to almost face to face. Again, he speaks a blessing over the children of Israel. A third time, chapter 24, Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not resort to sorcery as at other times. In other words, no hocus-pocus, no witchcraft, no manipulation of the spiritual realm, just waiting on God. And God comes and puts a message in his mouth. And once more, he blesses Israel. Balak is bitterly angry in verse 10 of chapter 24. He struck his hands together and he said to him, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you have blessed them these three times. Now leave at once and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. Balaam's response is, didn't I tell you I must say only what the Lord says? Now I'm going back to my people, but come, let me warn you of what this people will do to you and your people in days to come. And now we have one of the most powerful promises in Scripture for the Messiah. So the Lord God of heaven even revealed to this man, Messiah, a star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab. Here's a man who is hearing God's heart and speaking it boldly. Balak says, go on home. You're of no use to me. What a glorious opportunity this man Balaam now has. He can come right down off that mountain. He can go into the camp of Israel. He can go to Moses. He can tell Moses all that has just occurred with Balak. 
He can give him the written word of God. He can encourage Moses in the journey. He can join himself to the people of God and be one with the people of God and now be a spokesman for Almighty God. But he doesn't have a heart to do that. We all make these choices. Balaam is throwing away the most awesome opportunity that any man could have. He's casting it away because he has made other choices. He has other values. He knows God. He's a follower of the Lord God of heaven. But he is now choosing to cast his lot with the darkness instead of with the light. Balaam has made these choices time after time after time, and now finally he comes up to the crucial choice. And because of the bondages of the past, he has no ability to make the choice that will take him into the kingdom of God. Instead, he makes a choice that will take him into utter darkness. He still sees the money. He still sees that there's a possibility that he can bring a curse on the children of Israel. And so he advises Balak on how he can defeat the children of Israel. Come between the children of Israel and their God. What a wicked man's heart would now turn to come between a people and their God. He could have chosen to go and serve that God. But now he chooses to utterly rebel against the mighty God of heaven. He chooses to turn against him. So now he advises Send in the beautiful women. Seduce the men into worshiping your gods. And in chapter 25, the people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. Chapter 25, verse 4, The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people, kill them, expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. This is just before they're going to enter into the promised land. Do you understand what Balaam is throwing away? He knows that the children of Israel, by God's word to him, are going to utterly destroy the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. That they are going to possess this land. But he thinks he has a way to stop them. Why would he come up with this foolishness in his mind. How can I stop these people? Instead, why isn't he saying, oh God, I want to come and be one with these people? It requires that we examine the deepest motivations of our heart. What is it that we really want? What do we really want? Do we want separation from God? Is that what we really want? Do we want to go our own way? 
Do we want to walk in rebellion or do we want the living God of heaven? That decision will not be made one time. That decision will be made time after time after time as we forge the chains that will take us either to hell or to heaven. Every act of disobedience to God forms a chain. Every act of obedience forms a chain. We walk in what God has called us to or we rebel against what God has called us to. He's not called us to make these ultimate decisions out of a vacuum. He's called us to make these ultimate decisions out of a great history of knowing who God is. And as we make these choices and we make these decisions, when we come to the ultimate choice, we'll either be tone deaf and blind and make the choice that takes us to hell or our ears will hear, our eyes will see, and our hearts will follow hard after God. And each of us gets to examine the choices we're making in our day to either be in the presence of God Almighty or to be in the presence of darkness, in rebellion, in in bitterness of heart. One path is the path to insanity. The other path is the path to holiness. And we have to choose which of those we'll take. We don't just arrive at a destination. We don't just wake up one morning and say, hey, how did I get here? I don't want to be here. No, we make those decisions day after day with choice after choice. I have sat with men pleading with them to turn from their course and to accept Jesus Christ. And they have said to me, so many on their deathbed, Pastor, I rebelled against God all my life. I might as well end up in rebellion. And I've said, you don't have to do that. God is merciful. He will receive you. There is forgiveness for you at the throne of grace. All you have to do is submit to his will. Pastor, I haven't submitted to anybody in my life. Why, with the cursing words, why do you think I'd submit now? My life's done. I don't care what happens tomorrow. Others I've spoken with, it's as though suddenly by the power of the Holy Spirit, their eyes are open and their ears are open. And their heart breaks and the tears begin to flow down their faces. And they say, is there yet a chance for me? Is it too late for me, Pastor? Will Jesus receive me? And you know what I always talk about then? The thief on the cross. Oh, there's grace and mercy. One thief cursing Jesus. One thief scorning Jesus and the other thief saying, Lord, would you remember me? Would you remember me? And Jesus saying, today you're going to be with me in paradise. What grace. 
but grace. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit can a lifetime of bondage be broken. It's not within human power, but it is within the power of the Holy Ghost. It is in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And tonight, if you have walked in rebellion and bitterness against God, even though you know God and you can quote the scriptures and, and you have all this information, but you know you've been walking in rebellion against God, there's still a place of mercy and grace. Today is the day of salvation for you. Some of you may ask, Pastor, how do you know that Balaam was behind this 25th chapter of the book of Numbers? Because I've read chapter 31. And there I find, in verse 16, they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord in what happened at Peor, so that a plague struck the Lord's people. That's what the word says. We also find his end in chapter 31, verse 8. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. Balaam met his judgment and was executed by the sword of the children of Israel. This tragic picture just breaks my heart. Here's a man who could have been standing at the right hand of Moses. He could have been the advisor to Joshua. He had renown to all of the people of the East. He could have been so helpful in the kingdom of the Lord God of heaven. But he chose not to walk that way. He chose instead the root of bitterness. He chose instead the root of money, of world, and met his judgment. So today when you hear the word Balaam, you don't think of the redeemed man who counseled Moses. No, that's not what you think of. When you hear the name Balaam, you think of a foolish man who fought with his donkey. You think of a foolish man who went for money and gold. You think of a foolish man who rebelled against God, full of his own wisdom, full of his own understanding, full of the knowledge of who God is, claiming to be a worshiper of God Almighty, a man who could go out into the desert and turn his face toward the desert and have the living God of heaven come and meet with him this man had undeniable access to the Lord God of heaven. And then you think of a man who died by the sword of the children of Israel, dying like a dog, without honor, cast down. What path are you on? Are you unconscious, thinking you know something about God? but choosing your own agenda, still thinking you can bargain with God and negotiate with God and you can have a, a little bit of the world and a little bit of God. 
You think because you have some religious experience that that's going to save you? Balaam had all kinds of religious experience. He talked with God. He heard from God. But he died of the sword. In Jude, there's this powerful statement. I want to begin reading for you at verse 5. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own homes, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. This message is very sobering for me. I cannot trust in my religious experience for my salvation. I cannot trust what I've heard in my prayer closet for my salvation. I cannot trust what I have done or not done for my salvation. My salvation must come from one and only one, and his name is Jesus. And as I walk day by day, I'm making choices about Jesus. Every choice I make is about Jesus. I may think it's about Balak. I may think it's about my job. I may think it's about my relationship with somebody. I may think it's about how I've been treated. I can make those decisions all day long thinking whatever I want to think, but the Scriptures tell us every decision I make is about Jesus. What I eat, what I wear, where I go, what I say, what I think, what I feel. Every decision is about Jesus. Because the day is coming when I must face him. And on that day, I too will face my Balaam judgment. Or I will hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not based on my earning something, but based on what Jesus says about me. He'll either say, this one I know, this one I don't know. And many that he says, I don't know, will have had wonderful religious experiences. They'll have seen miracles happen. They'll have read the scriptures. They'll have given prophetic utterances even. But Jesus will say, I don't know you. Depart from me. And so I have to come and ask again tonight, are you tone deaf? Are you blind? Or do you recognize that every decision you make, 
even the smallest decision is about Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to confess how it is with me. Jesus will tell me, lay that down. I don't want you to deal with that anymore, Ray. I'll say, okay, for maybe a week or two weeks. And then I haven't heard God speak. No conviction in my heart. No, God didn't mean that I should totally lay that thing down. He just meant I should lay it down for a little bit so I'd have more prayer time. So it'd be okay if I go pick it up. If the Lord doesn't want me to do that, he'll, he'll speak to me again about it. Any of you do anything like this? Now I tell you how it was with my children. I'm not proud of this. But generally when I punished them, it was because of a straw that broke the camel's back. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Where I have spoken to them, and I've spoken to them, and I've spoken to them, and I've spoken to them, until finally I'm all out of speaking. And the next time they step over that line, they felt the full wrath of Dad's judgment. And I can still hear April saying, but Daddy, all I did was, isn't your punishment a little bit of out of line with what I just did? No, April, it's not just for that, it's for all this whole list of things. That was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Oh, my daughters hated to hear about the straw that would break the camel's back. Now, to be a good parent, I shouldn't have a straw that breaks a camel's back, I guess. I should deal with each incident. Boom, boom, boom. But I have a loving heart. I don't want to lower the boom on them. I just want to be able to speak to them like, you know, please don't do that anymore, April. Don't, don't do that anymore, Michael. I'm doing this now with my grandkids. Michael, don't do that. And he does it again. Oh, Mike, didn't, I, didn't we talk about this? Yeah, Papa, we talked about it. Did you forget? Yeah, I forgot. Okay, don't do that. And then again. And then again. I mean, he learned very quickly that Papa, at some point, would bring out the bell. And that was the end of all discussion. That was judgment day. When God speaks to you, do you take advantage of what he's spoken to you and think now, a week later, that God will have forgotten some of what he said to you so you can step in and do what you want to do? Because now God's not watching? And then when God finally hits the straw that breaks the camel's back, much wailing and weeping, Oh God, why are you treating me this way? Isn't this unfair? I mean, all the time I was walking in disobedience with my parents, I still had the blessing of living in their house and eating at their table. I still had the blessing of having them buy me clothes. I mean, I was enjoying all the benefits of being a part of the family. But when the camel's back got broken, then I feared I was out of the family. Because suddenly... I had to stay in my room 24 by 7. 
I couldn't take any meals except very simple, almost bread and water style meals delivered at my door on the floor. I mean, the discipline became very, very stiff. And I then thought I was the most poorly treated person in all of the world. And surely I was not a part of the family if I was being treated in this manner. I want to tell you tonight, God's not playing games with us. We're making choices day by day about whether we will resist the grace and mercy of Almighty God or whether we will receive His grace and mercy. And I'm frightened to tell you, but the day may come when you want to receive His grace and mercy and you can't do so because you've gone too far. These are serious matters. God does not have unconditional love. He has unfailing love. And He offers this to us freely, without reserve. Where do you stand tonight with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you right at that straw that breaks the camel's back with God, or have you already passed it? Are you already feeling His judgment on you? Everything's going terrible. Everything's down the tube. You feel miserable. You know you're getting the worst kind of beating in your life. Well, then you've already passed that point. There's still mercy. It's poured out. My heart is that Christ should be formed in you. You should have a heart of humble submission to the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That day by day, your strength should be Jesus. Your deliverance should be His blood. Your joy should be in His heart. And when darkness calls, it will be the same as when Jesus said, the devil has no hold on me. The devil still has a hold on some of us. Time to get that hold broken. And we break it by making new choices about surrendering to Jesus, submitting to Jesus. What's your choice? Oh Lord, we are your children. And each who is in this house tonight knows much about you. We've read your word. Some of us have even had many religious experiences. Some of us have even heard you speak audibly to us. But Lord, we can't put trust in any of that. Lord, tonight I put my trust in you. You are the Almighty, King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, tonight, would you deal with our hearts? Would you deal with our hearts? Would you turn us toward your people, toward your kingdom, 
Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Oh